Our lives aren't like they used to be. They're busier. Early morning Zooms, grabbing coffee to make that in-office meeting, getting to your kid's soccer game on time. Life is different, and so is advertising. To reach any audience, you need your message out there in all media, broadcast to streaming, on screens, and right to the ears of your customers. And that's what we do at Odyssey. Let's build a media campaign that targets the customers you know and want to reach more of. Right here in our community. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Good evening, KMOX. Brad Young here this evening on At Your Service. That's not just the name of the show that describes what we do here at KMOX. We are at your service. Good evening. We're going to be in here till about 11 o'clock this evening. Lots of things on tap. Uh, you know me. I'm the legal analyst for KMOX. Uh, my law firm, Harris, Dowell, Fisher & Young. Uh, but today, is what's great is you get legal analysis and it doesn't cost you a retainer. That's the fabulous part. So we'll be doing a lot of that this evening because, listen, the Supreme Court has been very, very busy. And uh, we're going to break down some of those Supreme Court cases this week. And, uh, you know, you can always listen to Camo X, 1120 a.m., but uh, listen, if you're driving around the St. Louis area, whenever I am, I keep my radio on the FM dial, 98.7. You get to hear Camoax, but the crystal clear quality, try saying that three times fast, of FM. And uh, if you just can't get that for whatever reason, or regardless of where you go, if you want Camoax with you, easy to do. Download the Odyssey.app. Because wherever you go, that's where we are with the Odyssey app. Uh, This evening, we got lots of things on tap to discuss this evening. We're going to be talking to a a Navy captain in the next segment about uh, how do we take on China and Russia. So that's interesting. Also, I scored this week, I believe, the first interview with Mark McCloskey regarding his run for the Senate. I mean, I don't ask him a lot of questions about his uh, guilty plea last week, but I'll share you my with you my theory on that. And Charlie Brennan talked about my theory on Donnybrook last week, but uh, nobody agreed with me. But that's okay because uh, I'm always living out on the limb. It's quite comfortable out there. I've got cable TV. I've got VOIP on my phone. I got cell coverage out there on the edge of the limb. So you know what? If it gets cut, hey, that's fine. Uh, I'll enjoy the ride to the ground. So uh, we're going to be talking about all those things. But, hey, Producer James, can you pull up that microphone? I want to ask you a quick question. I didn't prep him for this because, you know what, spontaneous questioning is always the best. So we got Producer Extraordinaire James uh, in this evening. And uh, there's a story in California that McDonald's are giving away Chicken McNuggets with your COVID shots. But here's my question to you, Producer James. Would you get a COVID vaccine at McDonald's? I wouldn't think so. What, and <laughs> I've got my theory on this, but why Why would you be maybe even slightly hesitant to get a COVID vaccination at McDonald's? 
probably not the most cleanest of places to <laughs> get a COVID shot. No doubt. <laughs> and you know what? I, I know I know that the that the gal who's filling the at the Coke machine is not going to be the one giving you the shot. I mean, they're they're bringing in you know actual nurses and medical professionals, but. But just doesn't the idea of getting a vaccination to McDonald's sound kind of creepy? Yes. It does, because I'm thinking, listen, am I getting the Pfizer shot or am I getting lard put into my arm? You know, is this the kind of grease they just cook the chicken McNuggets in or is this the Moderna vaccine? I don't know. They're just giving me chicken McNuggets with my shot. Just something about that seems unsavory and you agree right i would absolutely agree with that oh great see folks james is a genius because he agrees with me so thank you james uh for that uh input and uh uh you know speaking of tough things boy this has been a tough week for uh vice president kamala harris hasn't it i mean this is this week has been truly been tougher on her than it has been for the cardinals uh, just because um, she's been named the border czar uh, by uh, President Biden, and she never went to the border. And so people on the left, people on the right, they were all attacking her. And her response, I think last week when she was asked, listen, you're the border czar. Have you even been to the border? And she said, no, but, you know, I haven't been to Europe either. Like, what kind of an answer is that? Uh, I don't. I didn't think you were the Europe czar. I think you were the border czar for our border with Mexico. So what does Europe have to do with that? Absolutely, zip, not a goose egg. That's what it has to do with Europe. But that was her answer. But now she's apparently buckled under the pressure, and she'll be going uh, to the border here uh, in the very near future, which now really seems anticlimactic, doesn't it? I mean, if everyone piles on you like like Dick the Bruiser uh, at Wrestling at the Chase, and then all of a sudden you cave and say, well, okay, I'll go down there. Now it looks like you're just doing it because people have been complaining for the past three weeks. Oh, wait, that, that's because they have been. So, uh, <laughs> so she's going down there, and uh, I'm just wondering, you know, when the, when the president puts you in charge of the border— what what's next for you? You know, let's just say in the perfect world she solves the border crisis. Well, let's see. Next for you, uh, I have you. You have to you have to solve world peace, uh, and then I'm going to put you in charge of solving the problem of hair loss. Oh wait, Biden's already taking care of that. They're called plugs. But um, but by the way, you know what's the next job for Kamala Harris if she's been placed in charge of border security? So we'll be. Uh, anxiously awaiting her updates, like from what, like from Tijuana? Uh, I really don't want to see Kamala Harris in Tijuana with some questionable questionable bottle of tequila. I don't want to see that. So we'll see what happens if she gets that straightened out. Hey, when we come back from this break, uh, this this may be perhaps the, the favorite interview that I, the most favorite interview that I will ever do. We're going to be talking. Uh, we're going to be talking to Captain Brent Sadler. He's with the Heritage Foundation, a retired Navy Navy captain, and uh, he's going to be talking about 
military technology, about our naval strategy to stand up to China and to Russia, and where the Biden administration really dropped the ball when it comes to preparing for what's called these near-peer conflicts with Russia and China. That's coming up right after the break here on KMOX. Brad Young, at your service. Don't go away. Next Level Listening. News Radio 1120 AM, 98.7 FM, KMOX, the voice of St. Louis. Welcome back to At Your Service on KMOX. Brad Young in with you this evening. The greatest foreign threat to the United States today is China. Now, that's not just my assessment, but that's the assessment of the United States Pentagon. And the most dangerous focal point for this conflict is the South China Sea. But the question is, how is the U.S. military responding to this threat? So joining us this evening is Captain Brent Sadler, retired, uh, who last year joined the Heritage Foundation as the Fellow for Naval Affairs after he concluded his distinguished 26-year career in the U.S. Navy as a nuclear-power-trained submarine officer and even a foreign area officer. Captain Brent Sadler, now at the Heritage Foundation. Welcome to Camo X. Captain Sadler, welcome to Camo X. Hi, welcome. Uh, thank you for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. Hey, you wrote an op-ed piece for Defense One, which is one of those websites. Uh, I, you know, I, I am a military tech junkie, and I hit I hit uh, all kinds of websites every day, including Real Clear Defense, including the War Zone, including Defense One. And you wrote a piece last week for Defense One discussing how the Biden administration's budget request for the U.S. Navy simply fails to address the current strategic crisis points around the globe. But before we get into your analysis, how would you, first of all, Captain Brent Sadler, how would you summarize the threats that we face now from both Russia and China? Well, I think um, we're missing the full context of how they're competing with us. We've in the last few years, at least have at least on the surface an acknowledgement that they are changing the status quo at sea and in governments across the world um, in a very real way. And we have to compete more aggressively on that. The numbers of the ships in the Chinese Navy and their industrial capacity is massive. And that's something that's not quite dawned on uh, policymakers and decision makers quite like it should yet. And then on the Russian side, you've got uh, a decades-long, actually two decades-long, modernization and an improvement of their small but increasingly lethal uh, Navy. So I guess if I could sum it up, I'd say both of them are very lethal, and the Chinese in particular is a full-spectrum and uh, highly competent across the spectrum of warfare Navy that we have to address and deal with. Yeah, clearly that China is the number one threat. But even just this week, uh, it was reported that the Russian Navy was conducting exercises just 35 miles off the coast of Hawaii. And the U.S. Navy had to scramble to activate the USS Carl Vinson Carrier Strike Group just to respond. Is that the kind of threats? Is that an example of the kind of threats that you're talking about? Uh, Absolutely. So, I mean, I saw this back, if you go back to 2000. Uh, 12, the Russian, uh, Putin, they had an apex summit in Australia. He had sent two task forces all the way around the world 
to make a, a statement, a, a military statement, and use it to advocate or to leverage his diplomacy at, at the summit meetings and very senior meetings were going on in Canberra and Sydney, Australia at the time. So it's not the first time. However, we haven't grown our navy. We've gone in the opposite direction, and we've shrunk it continually. We've not been able to get, despite our efforts for the last you know, five or six years, we have not been able to get above 300 ships. So when you see the military have to scramble and to try to respond to something like this and in a place that we're not used to or haven't typically had to have a constant maritime presence, it indicates that we don't have enough assets. We're stretched too thin and have too many bases to cover. And it's not a question of we what we can choose. We're not going to cover certain areas or certain bases. It's that the adversaries are starting to challenge us mm-hmm. in more and more places in real ways. Yeah, we're, we're talking to Captain Brent Sadler, retired. He's a naval expert who is now with the Heritage Foundation. And you've, you've set the table for us. Uh, Captain Sadler, regarding the issues that we face from what's called near-peer adversaries like China and Russia. But uh, the, the, the focus of your article uh, piece last week in Defense One was really about how the Biden administration is addressing this threat. How did the Biden administration's first military budget uh, uh, seek to f- for funds to address this growing threat from both China and Russia? So I guess the first uh, comment I'd have to make on that is based on the public statements and the the testimony or the hearings that have been made on the Hill from Department of Defense to Congress on this very question, uh, I'd I'd have to say is inadequate. I I hear uh, policymakers and leaders in the Pentagon say that this budget reflects or addresses and deters China. However, I'm not convinced. Uh, For one, despite the statements of Admirals Davidson Aquilino and Admiral Aquilino, the, the current and the previous commanders of Indo-Pacific Command based in Hawaii, and by the way, the gentleman that will have to lead a war against China if that should come, both had testified in March that China has made every preparation and every indication to set the conditions for a war over Taiwan in the next six years. That's a sense of urgency. Now, there are other people that have made similar statements and similar calls for urgency, but the budget that was put forward puts a large emphasis on research and development for future capabilities. And quite frankly, our track record of delivering future capabilities in an accelerated timeline is not very good. No, no, just look so at the seems, literal combat yeah. ship for that, or, oh, the, yeah. <laughs> or, or the Zumwalt class destroyer, and you can see that there's, uh, there's, some, uh, there's some colossal problems with that. But you pointed out oh, some things, you pointed out some things, Captain Brent Sadler, in your article last week in Defense One that, that were fascinating just to ponder, and, there, and it's not necessarily intellectually taxing, but it's very common sense. Mm-hmm. For example, you point out that there's three parts to building a strong Navy, shipbuilding, Secondly, recruitment of sailors to operate those ships. And third, the training to make the Navy the most lethal force on the planet. But, but you're yep. saying that the Biden administration's budget really didn't adequately address any of those three areas. No, not at all. It, it actually walks back from promises and obligations that were made both to, the, to Congress, who's footing the bill, as well as the shipbuilders that need to know with certainty uh, so they can plan their capital investments and their pay their, their workers uh, to build more ships. We're supposed to be, build 12. We've got eight. 
that are on this budget. And by the way, we're decommissioning 15, so it's a net decrement on the fleet. As far as training goes, for for minute for for I would say at least from my perspective, it's been 10 years, but at least it's been public for the last three years that we need to get smarter about China. We have to understand the threat better. And this budget cuts several hundred million dollars from the education side of the house. And it's less than clear to me how, with less resources and less emphasis on that education part, that we're going to be training, more importantly, exercising the fleet the right way to outcompete the Chinese in the day-to-day peacetime, let alone when the bullets start flying to win in a fight. We're talking to Captain Brent Sadler, a naval expert who is now with the Heritage Foundation. And uh, just last year, there was a fire broke out on the WASP-class amphibious assault ship, the USS Bonhomme Richard. Uh, and really, just for discussion purposes, in case folks aren't familiar with that ship, it's really just a smaller version of an aircraft carrier. Uh, and the entire assault ship was literally destroyed because of this fire. So how does losing a ship of that magnitude impact naval naval operations worldwide? Well, the first thing that it did is it took a ship that was working out, uh, I'm sorry, or was being modernized to handle the F-35 aircraft, advanced fighter, and it was on schedule to deploy it within the year. Uh, however, taking that ship out of line meant that other ships that had maintenance or times for their sailors to be home or were on station that had to fill in that presence, so that, that mission gap. So very immediately it caused a, 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 down, a trickle effect for more time at sea, maintenance deferred. It also took sailors off the line. Those sailors that were on the ship, they're not, they're, they actually weren't assigned right away, so they were not doing the mission, the forward mission that we needed the sailors to do. Um, but I'd have to come back to that, that platform with the F-35 aircraft on it would have been a significant addition to the fleet, and it's not going to happen. We're talking to Captain Brent Sadler, naval expert, who is now with the Heritage Foundation. Hey, can you stick with us through the break? I've got a few more questions for you. You can tell I really, truly enjoy this topic. If you could stick around with us through the break, I'd like to continue our discussion. Is that okay? Oh, absolutely. Very good. We're going to take a break right now. When we come back, we're going to talk to Captain Sadler about the ghost fleet about autonomous naval vessels and how this could perhaps help close that gap that that may be coming in the very near future with China's industrial capacity. Brad Young at your service here on X. Don't go away. Get the inside story on what's happening with your St. Louis Cardinals this season directly from the Redbirds manager. It's the Mike Schilt Show, Sunday mornings at 10.15, sponsored by Bath Fitter. On your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. Welcome back to At Your Service on KMOX. And we're talking this evening to Captain Brent Sadler. He's a naval expert who is now with the Heritage Foundation and as I teased before the break, Captain Sadler, what is the Ghost Fleet? I mean, with ships with cool-sounding names like the Sea Hunter and the and the Seahawk, how might these cutting-edge naval technology uh, demonstrators provide us with a, a cost-effective way to respond to the growing Russian and Chinese threat? Uh, absolutely. So uh, with, I have a background in robotics. You go back back way further back in my uh, career. And I, I don't think it's uh, so often people talk about, 
hey, when there's no people on the ship or there's less, we'll have to pay less sailors, so there'll be a cost savings. And we'll also to be, we'll be able to employ these, these platforms in a more dangerous environment in, in conflict, and we won't have to worry about the human loss as much. We can actually be able to employ these weapons at greater risk. That's, that's true, but the real advantage for these larger unmanned surface, subsurface, as well as the aircraft, is not them by operating by themselves or operating in swarms, but teamed with manned platforms yes. and working together collaboratively. So you could take, for example, and, and you're the expert here, but for example, if you if you paired uh, these uh, autonomous unmanned surface vehicles like the Sea Hunter or the Seahawk, and you paired them with uh, an Arleigh Burke-class destroyer, you could send those autonomous ships out, you, you extend out your sensor range, and if they happen to contain weapons such as naval strike missiles or even uh, old-style harpoon missiles, wouldn't you increase then the lethality of that particular surface warfare group? Absolutely. What you've just described is a concept that's well over 10 years old called distributed lethality that the Navy's been working on and refining and developing and just did the first exercise at scale with multiple unmanned and manned ships off the of San Diego back in late April of this year. And, and how did that go? I mean, I'm not certainly asking for any classified information, but what's the as far as the uh, the public non-confidential uh, analysis of that of that exercise, how did it go and did it demonstrate this proof of concept of distributed lethality that you're talking about here this evening? Absolutely. So by all accounts, it was a great success. And for me, it was even a greater success because there were things in there that probably didn't go right. There were things, assumptions that were made that were proven false. That's a tremendous learning experience. This is the first time that at scale, multiple units done. So the amount of learning was a success. Uh, but operationally, there was at least publicly announced that an unmanned platform was able to launch a weapon, like an uh, anti-ship weapon, against a target without using its sensors. So a weapon was launched, it was cued from another uh, platform, and it hit a target successfully. So that's a, that's a tremendous advance and a concept uh, that has been talked about and, I guess, tabletopped and exercised. Hmm only in the computer space. We're talking to Captain Brent Sadler, who's with the Heritage Foundation. And uh, Captain Sadler, even though we have new ship classes on the horizon, from the from the newly awarded Constellation class frigate to the Columbia class submarine, these new ships are, are in effect, years away from coming online and, and really do little, if anything, for our current security issues. So with, with this understanding of the current threat that you've been talking about here this evening and our current ability to respond to this threat, how do you believe the Biden administration should respond to this current threat? Well, I think it's, it's no longer a comfortable question of do we invest our money in future capabilities to outpace our competitors in capability, or do we buy more platforms and, and match and outclass today and in the near term in numbers? The, the reality is you have to do both. The Chinese, in particular, are exceeding our ability to build, so they can out, they outnumber us. They already have 306 ships to our 297, and they're catching. They're very close to us technologically, so it's no longer comfortable to say you can do one or the other. 
the Biden administration, the Navy needs to do both. They need to double down on shipbuilding as well as R&D. Excellent. Captain Brent Sadler, naval expert who's now at the Heritage Foundation. Hey, thank you so much for spending your time with us this evening here on Camo X. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. Trust me, my pleasure. Hey, uh, question. We're going to open up the phone lines now. 314-436-7900. Call or text. Is the Biden administration missing the, or rather, pardon the pun here, but is the is the Biden administration missing the boat on responding to the growing Russian and Chinese threats? We've obviously got other things in the news to talk about today, uh, but this isn't something that, that we get a lot of opportunities to discuss, and that is how do we deal with China and Russia? What should we do? 314-436-7900-7900. Call or text. Speaking of of uh, of international issues and foreign affairs today, uh, the uh, last week I was discussing when I was here on with you last week, I was discussing a, a, a large measure my frustration with the Biden administration on how they're they're dealing with Iran, and there was some question about whether Iran and whether the United States has agreed to lift sanctions on Iran. Because, you know, we are trying to negotiate with Iran to stop their their development of nuclear weapons. And uh, and I personally think that Israel's got the best approach. That is just blow up Iranian facilities <laughs> and do it secretly so they can't trace it back to you. I mean, that's been the most effective. That and what's called Stuxnet, which was a computer virus that was uh, launched against the Iranians more than a decade ago. And it really messed up their what's called their centrifuges, which is how they they create uranium necessary for fissionable material that's required for nuclear weapons. But the Biden administration is taking a different approach. They want to talk. Well, it was announced today by Iran, of all people or of all countries, that they announced that the U.S. had agreed to lift the sanctions unilaterally that that President Trump had put into place. And, And I'm quoting here. An agreement has been reached to remove all insurance, oil, and shipping sanctions that were imposed by former U.S. President Donald Trump, unquote, said the outgoing Iranian President Hassan Rouhani's chief of staff. So so we haven't even gotten anything from the Iranians. We've gotten no agreements. We've gotten no uh, agreement to, to stop the production of nuclear weapons. We've gotten no assurances of inspections to make sure that they're actually doing what they may claim to be doing. Nothing. We just unilaterally dropped the sanctions. And and folks, listen, I negotiate for a living. That's what I do. Whenever my kids were smaller, they said, hey, dad, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I go to work every day and I play Monopoly with other people's money. And my job is to buy park place and boardwalk for next to nothing. That's my job every day, and it's called negotiation. And and if you're negotiating with the Iranians, you don't start the negotiations by saying, we're just going to waive the sanctions. That's just not how you negotiate. So, so the Iranians claimed uh, that the U.S. sanctions must be lifted if they were going to come to the table. But again, that's not how leverage works. That's not how negotiations works. Because the, the, the financial data is crystal clear on this. Iran's economy tanked 
after President Trump instituted new sanctions against Iran several years ago. It tanked. And since those sanctions were issued in 2018, oil production has plummeted. Oil exports plummeted. Inflation in Iran skyrocketed. The people are unhappy. Everyone except for the ruling mullahs, everyone is mad in the country of Iran. The, the good people of Iran are upset. They are putting pressure on the Iranian government. Now's not the time just to give in and say, okay, you want to know a great example of that negotiating strategy? That's when Dick Gephardt and Thomas Eagleton brought the Rams to St. Louis. Okay, do you know what their negotiation strategy was? Yes. So in other words, when, when, when the Rams said, we want this much money to relocate to St. Louis, St. Louis's response was, okay. And they said, well, by the way, we want a clause in it. We want you to build us a brand new dome downtown. Okay. Oh, and also we want you to have a clause in the contract that says after a specified period of time, if we don't have the best stadium in the NFL, then we get to pack up and move to another city. St. Louis's response, okay. I mean, that's that's not negotiation. I mean, that's like going to a car dealership and you walk onto the lot and you're looking at the car and you look at the sticker on the windshield and you say, okay. I mean, there's no negotiation there. You're, that's called giving in. You go in and you say, oh, this car, it's got a sticker of $40,000. Oh, my goodness. You know, I could go on, on Auto Trader right now. I could buy that same car with 10,000 miles anywhere for half that price and negotiate down. I love buying cars. Oh, it's a thrill. I enjoy it. I wish I could buy cars every week. It's a lot of fun. It's called negotiation. But apparently no one in the Biden administration understands how to negotiate when it comes to to the Iranian nuclear weapons package. Look, just give me like an hour with these guys. That's all I would ask. Just let me in there and I will help. I won't even charge the Biden administration a thing. In fact, I will charge far less than what Robert Mueller charged the United States government for the sham investigation of Donald Trump. That costs like $40 million. How about this? I'll do it for half of that, okay? Robert Mueller spent $40 million. He got nothing. I'll charge you half of that, only $20 million, and I'll get you something, okay? How is that for a deal? That, my friends, is capitalism in action. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about some other things that Biden did today, including having a press conference on how to end violence in America. I, you're going to want to hear this. And so, uh, so don't go away. Brad Young here, KMOX at your service. We'll be right back. Earning St. Louis's trust for 96 years. This is KMOX. Welcome back to At Your Service. Brad Young in with you this evening. Talking about some foreign policy issues. You know, you know we don't talk about that a lot on radio. A lot of times it's more about uh, domestic issues and financial issues and current event issues, but, you know, foreign policy issues, they're, they're important. And so that's why I wanted to talk to, to uh, uh, Captain Brett Sadler tonight about some of these uh, issues dealing with Russia and dealing with China. But today, President Biden kind of turned his focus on some more domestic issues today. In particular, he held a press conference late in the day. And the focus of the press conference 
was violence. Now, we've seen this here in the city of St. Louis. This has been one of the largest examples of spiking murders and crime throughout the country. But other cities, I mean, Atlanta, Chicago, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, Portland, Washington, D.C., all of these major urban centers have had just a tremendous, tremendous increase in murders and violence really over the past 18 months. So President Biden came out today to to address these issues. And as as one would expect in typical, typical liberal progressive fashion, he, he blames things that have nothing whatsoever to do with the vast majority of the violence. So, for example, one of the things he said was he predicted that the as summer is now here, that the, the spike that we've seen in violence and murders over the past year and a half would probably increase as the summer progresses. But then he, then he wants to swiftly turn and blame hunters and gun owners and people who are interested in protecting their homes. And he says, no one needs weapons firing 100 rounds unless they thought, and I'm quoting, the deer are wearing Kevlar vests. Well, you know, that's a funny line, but that's not why people have 100-round clips for their weapons. That's not reason why they have that. And apparently, you know, Joe Biden bragged that he's been around Washington, D.C. and in Washington for 47 years. But, of course, for the last 47 years, he hasn't had any answers, so I'm not sure why we would expect him to have those answers now. But he apparently didn't read the case from the U.S. Supreme Court in 2008 called District of Columbia versus Heller. And I would just ask President Biden to, you know, you got people, just have someone give you an executive summary of D.C. versus Heller. It's not that long. It's a it's about a 40 page opinion. And in that opinion, the Supreme Court lays out how the Second Amendment isn't just for hunting deer wearing Kevlar vests. It's for protecting one's home. It's for protecting one's family. It's for protecting one's property. Unless you think that's not really an issue today, go to Portland. You know, if you lived in Portland, Oregon, you would want a weapon over the past year and a half. When they had autonomous zones where the the government supposedly didn't have any authority in, in Portland and in Seattle— Man, if I was living there, I would absolutely want to be protecting my home. And you can bet I would want a 100-round clip for my semi-automatic rifle to protect my home and family. You bet I would. It's not about hunting deer, Mr. President. It's about protecting freedom. And apparently he just doesn't understand that or has never bothered to read D.C. versus Heller. So read it. You know, President, Mr. Uh, President Biden I'll even email you a PDF copy of the decision. Just call me. I'll be happy to email it to you. Not a problem. But uh, but he says, and he points out in the press conference today, that nationwide homicides rose 30% and shootings spiked 8% in larger cities last year. Now, the first thing that unfortunately comes to mind is a lot of times it's these mass shootings where someone goes into a place of employment and kills eight or ten people. And that's tragic. And I'm not denying that happens. Of course it happens. But if you want to talk about where the crime is occurring with guns, 
It's not some guy with a Trump sticker in his on his back of his pickup truck. It's people who are, who are really conducting mass slaughter in our urban centers across America. But yet his entire press conference today didn't really focus on that whatsoever. And in fact, he when he was asked, when his press secretary was asked about ending cash bail, which allows these criminals to get back on the streets, he said, the press secretary, she said that President Biden is still in favor of ending cash bail, meaning that people who commit violent crimes, it's like catch and release when you're at Bush Wildlife. You know, you catch a bass, you just let it go right back in the lake again. That's what they're doing with these violent criminals when they eliminate cash bail. He didn't address that at all. All he wanted to talk about was gun control and these isolated occurrences where mass shootings happen. They're tragic, yes. But the greatest threat to violence in this country is the threat that occurs in our cities. Brad Young here at your service on KMOX. Next hour, speaking of guns, Mark McCloskey. We're going to be talking to him next hour on At Your Service on KMOX. Our lives aren't like they used to be. They're busier. Early morning Zooms, grabbing coffee to make that in-office meeting, getting to your kid's soccer game on time. Life is different, and so is advertising. To reach any audience, you need your message out there in all media, broadcast to streaming, on screens, and right to the ears of your customers. And that's what we do at Odyssey. Let's build a media campaign that targets the customers you know and want to reach more of. Right here in our community. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.